From the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles. It's the Friday Roundtable here on the Craig Needles Podcast. Find us at ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca, and we're on your favorite podcast app as well. And we are joined here in the studio this week by Jennifer Dunn, who, of course, is the executive director of the London Beats Women's Center, the deputy mayor of the city of London, Sean Lewis, and Jared Zaifman of the London Home Builders Association. Hello, everybody. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having Hello. us. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to all of you as well. And uh, there's a lot to discuss this week as far as what has happened within the news. I know we, we're we going to get into some budget talk later and the, the health unit has come out and said that they're going to have to make some cuts. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a little bit, but I, I did want to talk about the story that I spoke about on the podcast on Wednesday. I was off on Tuesday, so we did a, a Wednesday show this week uh, in regards to the integrity commissioner saying that, uh, yes, in fact, uh, Susan Stevenson has violated the City of London's Code of Conduct with social media posts. The ones that were uh, uh, over the line, so to speak, were uh, posting photos of people who are homeless and attaching with that uh, accusations of, of theft and things along those lines. And the Integrity Commissioner says, yes, a line has in fact been crossed here. Uh, Sean, this is going to be discussed at City Hall on the 19th. You are one of the uh, 15 people, presumably. Uh, maybe it should be 14, but the reality is it is 15 people who get to, get to say on this. Uh, what was your reaction to the report and what do you think you're going to do with it next week? Well... There was uh, not really any surprises to me, uh, knowing that uh, having been copied on a couple of the complaints that went to the Integrity Commissioner, uh, not that I asked to be, but you can't unsee what you've seen. Uh, so I'm not really surprised uh, at where we Well, you we and the today. mayor on my podcast say, hey, look, I, we've seen the complaints. You both yep. said it. Yes, yep, we did. Um, people aren't obligated to share them with the mayor, myself, or any other member of council, but, but they did, on their, uh, own they did on their own volition. And so I've seen them and, and I'm not surprised that we are where we are. Uh, you know, I will say uh, from a consistency point of view, um, I was one of the seven members of council who voted to reprimand Councillor Van Holst uh, in the last session of council um, over the whole um, uh, creation um, of a religion, creation of his own religion, and, and Victoria and Park, and counseling that, yeah. employees to violate the vaccine policy, and and all of those things. Um, and uh, I am going to follow the integrity commissioner's advice on this one too, because the integrity commissioner really is uh, our referee here. Um, you know, and I listen. I've been the subject of a number of uh, integrity commissioner complaints. There are some individuals who live downtown who don't like what I have to say about infill and and. Um, uh, allowing developers to build up. That individual isn't necessarily like me that much either, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so I'm aware of what the process is. I, I've been through it. You know, I, I've received the email from the Integrity Commissioner. I've been asked to, to give my response. I've provided that response. Um, I will say... Um, 100% clear rate. Congratulations on that. Yep, 100% cleared. <laughs> um, uh, but I was given the chance to respond. Now, I wasn't served formal documents either. Uh, I was provided the complaint in an email, and then I was offered the opportunity to respond in an, e an, in an email. So um, I don't, I really don't accept the the uh, counselor's uh, response that uh, I wasn't a formally served document, so the the report is invalid. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this this isn't a court of law. 
uh, this is an integrity commissioner process, and and it's about the standard to which elected officials hold themselves. So um, I don't know how my colleagues are going to go. Um, we also have a new integrity commissioner. Right? This so this is a new integrity commissioner from the city. Uh, so if I was in the position uh, of being the subject of this complaint. I would certainly be seeking advice from the integrity commissioner on whether or not I could vote on it. Uh, I know it's the recommendation is not for any uh, uh, monetary penalty, so there's no suspension of salary recommended. Um, so there's technically not a pecuniary interest, but I would be seeking advice from the integrity commissioner. It is a new integrity commissioner. They they may interpret our code of conduct different than the previous integrity commissioner did. Um, I, I think it's one thing to go and, and defend yourself um, in, in front of your colleagues over the report, but I do think in terms of voting on it that that's maybe not something any member of council on any integrity commissioner finding should perhaps be doing. Um, but that will we'll, we'll see how it plays out, but I think we have to really uh, take this seriously, and I think we have to take it seriously uh, both in terms of what has happened here uh, but also in terms of, uh, sadly, I, I know that this is not the only, again, people have copied me on some emails. Uh, this is not the only investigation that's underway. Uh, this is not the only counselor uh, who is under investigation. Uh, and I think that we have to uh, set aside how we feel about any individual member of council uh, as, an, as a colleague that we work with and recognize uh, that the integrity commissioner is the referee in this stuff, right? And and you may not like the referee's call, um, but you got to go to the penalty box still and, and serve your two minutes. Yeah. Uh, there have been uh, a number of, of social media run-ins and, uh, that, that, that Councillor Stevenson has had. Jen, you are amongst the people. <laughs> That, uh, that she has uh, taken issue with on, uh, on X or Twitter, whatever it is you want to call it. What did you think of the news sort of as it's uh, broken the line? Like, really, it was last Friday afternoon that it happened, right in the middle of Otani Gate. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I was happy to see that, uh, you know, there was a piece of the code of conduct broken or that it was established that something was was not right because then action can be taken. Um, and my issue that I have now is more of the argument around, um, you know, it, it not being valid as opposed to like, oh, I did something wrong. Let me take a step back for a second and see what I need to do to maybe do better. Right. So, you know, we, we wrote a letter to the city and to the integrity commissioner and Sean, that's one that would have came across your email as well. And, you know, I think when people are in a position of power, um, and, and in this case, being a city councillor by way of that position, it is a position of power and you owe it to, um, those that live in the city to, um, from the most, in the most basic way, you know, meet people where they're at and, uh, you know, be approachable and be able to have um, conversations about things. And, you know, when, you know, when we sent, when I sent the letter that I sent to um, the city councillor via email, I never received a response to anything until it hit social media. And so I think like, you know, for, for, for women, if I speak specific, specifically about the type of work that we do, it makes it women feel as if they're not going to get any support should they come forward to, to talk about something or whatever. And, mm -hmm. and in this case where the city councillor, um, you know, was, was found to, you know, 
the picture she was posting on Twitter, sorry, X, to be problematic, that's that's a huge problem. Like, why would people in in Ward 4 want to go to her when they have an issue or, or try to talk to her when, you know, she's not even acknowledging that she did anything wrong, you know? I don't know. It's It's... I'm glad that there's going to be a conversation um, at City Council about it. We'll see um, what happens uh, with that. But, you know, people need to be held accountable when they, they do something wrong. Yeah, and I, I I think that you can't just kind of shoulder shrug this. And, and, and Jared, you've been at City Hall when there's been integrity commissioner complaints before. Because uh, it seems like we can't have a term of council without this <laughs> happening. Uh, I, 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 what, what goes into it when you're deciding how you want to proceed as a councillor who's not involved in the report at all? I think that's well. Certainly, it's it's challenging, and I think it's I think it's difficult for councillors and all of council when uh, a reprimand is is sort of suggested as the course of action. Because it obviously, to, I think to Sean's point before, but it, it creates challenges where then it goes from the integrity commissioner for council to vote on it. And I think that, you know, creates a lot of awkwardness, a lot of difficulty and just amongst council colleagues who have to come together and make decisions all the time. Um, but, you know, it's it, again, it, it is something that you have to deal with and you've got to do. And I think like any decision that you make or that you hope elected officials make, it's on the best evidence and the best judgment and you know from a counselor's perspective there is the code of conduct and you have to abide by that it exists and it's important for counselors to be aware of it um you know i think craig on your uh, show recently about this i think you spoke to it but there's it's important i think to have a diversity of opinions and different views on council but when it comes to something like this you know people can need to take responsibility but also be aware and sensitive i think more so than ever, especially you're putting something on social media, what that impact might have. And I don't, I don't know from the counselor's perspective if that went through her mind or not. Um, but you know, it's, it is, it comes with the territory. It comes with the job and things you say, do put out on social media are going to have a much more significant impact and come with a lot more responsibility than it would for, for anyone else. And so, you know, have to, have to deal with it. Yeah, it's, well, uh, we also have to deal with construction noise. I'm not sure if people <laughs> are listening to this or picking this up in the background, but uh, everything in the city is under construction. Yes, yeah, so why not? Uh, including the office directly below us, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also think it's important for for people to understand uh, when there's an integrity commissioner complaint, and and certainly when it involves uh, social media. Um, and again, last term of council. Uh, you know, there was a, a situation that I was involved in. Uh, you know, I won't get into the details because it didn't result in an in integrity commissioner's report. Uh, because there are off ramps in this process, and to your point, Jen, uh, the integrity commissioner can can actually say to a counselor or multiple counselors that you're the way you are interacting with each other on social media uh, has been raised as a concern and so we think you should remove the posts and apologize to each other done okay now there's no problem there's no report that comes to council uh, you 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 both agree that maybe that one crossed the line or misrepresented something that that you didn't intend to misrepresent uh, you apologize to each other and you move on um, and you, you learn from that and so there are off-ramps before this ever has to come to council for a formal vote 
on a reprimand or suspension of pay or, or whatever. Uh, and so to, to not engage with the integrity commissioner over what you're going to say is a technicality, we, we didn't have to be here. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. There, there's opportunities to take this as a learning experience and go, okay, well, I'll, I'll remove those posts. Uh, I'm going to post a, an apology and say, I realize that some people didn't feel that those posts were, were in order. Um, uh, you know, I stand by the fact that like the needles and, and the feces and things are an issue, but mm-hmm. it was, it was one she's, step too far. She's right. Those things are an issue. And this they is are. not how you handle Absolutely. it. Mm-hmm. And again, and I think that was very important what, what you said on the podcast. And I think it's it's right there in the Integrity Commissioner's report too. Councillors are allowed to have a, a controversial position on things. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. don't have to agree. It's not a, a 15 to 0 vote all the time at council. That's, that's how democracy works. Th- that part is fine. It's whether or not you can agree to disagree respectfully. Mm-hmm. And, and not be disagreeable in disagreeing. And that's where the problem lays. And, and I had some people in my Twitter mention saying, well, you know, if, uh, if a member of the public did this, it wouldn't be a problem. Yeah, the standard's higher for elected officials. Mm-hmm. Like how, like that, it has to be. Yeah. How else do we, how else do we operate? If that's not the case. Well, it makes me think about even, uh, it's not the same, but if you look at discussions in the House of Commons over the last two weeks and, you know, depending on the language that certain MPs are using in refusing to apologize for, they're getting kicked out yeah. and that, yep. you know, you got to have proper decorum and it's a really important part of it. Yeah, because I, I can say, you know, if, if, if I could say to some, if I was walking by Peter Fragascato's on the street and I'm like, Peter, yeah, that position you took on this kind of bullshit, he would he, he, like, he would engage with me. We, we have a, a good relationship. That's fine. Uh, I can't say that to him in the House of Commons. No. That's that's not allowed. Like, no. it's you know what I mean? Like, it's, there, there's different Mm-mm. expectations for different situations depending on who you are. Mm-hmm. I am not a member of parliament. You know what I mean? So it's just it's it's a different thing. Like, it's so uh, it's. It just is. It just shows that you've got to know sort of where you're at and, and what the latitude is within that position for certain things. And as the integrity commissioner says, it's not just me. Um, the stuff that the, the the previous report was about uh, the tweets surrounding you know the the article where it suggests uh, locking up someone who's homeless if they refuse help or whatever. I, I forget the exact wording. I, I read it on the podcast on Wednesday. Either way. Uh, that's not a violation. I don't agree with that opinion. I don't think that's a violation of the code of conduct, mm-hmm. nor does the integrity commissioner. Posting pictures of people and suggesting that perhaps that person may have committed a crime, that's a different conversation. That's a different conversation. So we'll see what happens with that on on Tuesday at City Hall. It uh, it should be interesting uh, to say at the uh, at the very least you might be in for a a lengthy uh, a lengthy conversation aren't they all lengthy (laughs) uh speaking of lengthy conversations uh did you know sean have you heard about this we're at the start of a budget cycle (laughs) i i did uh yes actually um i i mean full credit to Councillor peloza because she keeps me up to date on these things she She gave me a heads up that she was going to bring forward this massive multi-year budget um so yeah it it wasn't a surprise to me yeah yeah here we are uh budget season is upon us and the bad news folks is 5.4% 5.4% is the starting. Right. That's the base number. And that's for like everything to kind of stay as it is. That is, is that right? all services staying exactly where they are. Mm-hmm. And so that also includes uh, the cost of the provincial downloading. Right. Okay. So 4, 4.9 is keep every service flat. Mm-hmm. There's another about half a percent that gets added on because of provincial downloading legislative changes from the mm-hmm. province that put costs on municipalities now instead of the province paying for it. So 5.4 is the starting point. Um, Are you okay with 5.4 if that's where we wind up? 
I am. I don't think that's where we end up. Okay. Uh, because I, well, first of all, I have to be okay with 5.4 because uh, we can't do anything about the provincial downloading. Right. So a half a percentage of this is just Half in. a percentage of it is just, it yeah. is what it is. Yeah. Um, and when you talk about keeping services where they are, you know, maybe there's a, a few little cuts to make here and there, but at the end of the day, we got to keep fuel in, in the police cars and the buses and the snow plows. We got to keep the lights on and staff working. Uh, I, I know Jared would agree in the building and, and planning division in particular, those <laughs> staff have to be paid and be there doing their jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and perhaps paid the, even more than they have <clears throat> been late, lately, but that's perhaps that's a paid even more, but that's a different week. conversation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so all of these things, um, you know, there, there's not a whole lot of fat to trim. Right. Um, you know, and if there is, it's, you know, it's half a million here, 250,000 there. Um, and yeah, maybe Which, like, can, that, that's a lot of money. But at the same time, when you're talking about how much does that take off the tax base, that's not that much. 0.01. Right. For, for $750,000. There you go. I, I would say, I mean, council's got a really difficult task ahead of it. And, you know, huge challenges, obviously, just with affordability in general, everywhere now, obviously, in our community. And, you know, but trying to, you know, the idea of making cuts or cutting back on even to your, like if, if it's, you know, going down below that level, things are going to have to change as far as service levels and staffing. And, you know, that's, that's as much as affordability is a challenge across the community that will have other impacts across the community too. Um, and that's not getting into other asks that are coming before council. Um, you know, certainly, and, and I will say like, I, I you know, joking a little bit before from your last show, but uh, building and planning, certainly we, we would support raises in those areas. I mean, those are going to be some of the most critical places in the city over the next decade as London has projected for huge growth. Um, and so how do we how do we support getting there? Well, even even at the council level, right? We're a city of half a million people. We run over 100 and I think it's 120 now different programs and services. We can't continue to just pretend that council can do this as a part-time gig off the side of their desk. Uh, we can't continue to share one admin assistant between four councillors. Mm-hmm. Like I, I get a, as a deputy mayor, I get a quarter of somebody's time during the week to help support me. Like that's not sustainable either. And if you want council to do a better job, even the supports and, and the compensation for council has to be changed. So when you start talking about 5.4, like that, that's a fine place to start. Now, what I'm not okay with is, oh, let's just do it all. And that means 13% in year one Oof. and 9% every year average for four years. 36% in the term of council? No, thank you. Not interested. And that does mean for me, like I, I've already been through the budget and I, and I can tell you, you know, London Arts Council, you're going to have to make do with your existing budget. I can't give you enhancement. Mm-hmm. Um, pillar, um, you know, and I've had this conversation uh, with uh, former Councillor Cassidy already. No, it, it's not the municipality's job to provide pillar base funding. And now is certainly not the time to be asking for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to be a no. And, and it's not just there. There's a number of business cases from city administration, too, where I'm going to be a no. Uh, even the the um, uh, six hundred and change thousand uh, dollars that uh, is proposed to take the the temporary plexiglass barrier in council chambers and uh, make it a permanent one, um, like the King Street bike lane, I'm going to be a no on that because no, that's it's sorry, temporary did you say because at, at some point we're not going to be what? in city hall. It costs six hundred thousand dollars to do that. 
well, if we're going to replace it with a quote unquote permanent, yeah. but that is not a good. You'll use all of recall six hundred thousand dollars before COVID. Yeah. We'd already started having discussions about we are going to need a new city hall this decade. Mm-hmm. So $600,000 for something that might be in place for three or four years? Yeah, save it. No, I, I'm not doing that. Do we even need the plexiglass barriers Just, just take all? it down. Well, mostly we want it to keep Jared and, and uh, Mr. Wallace from the LDI uh, feeling like they're in the penalty box up there. Uh, well, actually, something that, that we have, have... Have the rules changed yet surrounding the, the occupancy for the... Because that, that, that needs to be altered too. Because you can't have that be half full. Like if people want to come see, they should be able to come see what's going on. Uh, so that hasn't yeah. been changed yet, but quite honestly, with the ability to participate virtually by Zoom, with all of the pop-up mm-hmm. things that yeah. we have now out in the community and whether it's the hubs or there's a whole slew of them in January over the budget, you know, coming to City Hall and sitting in the gallery is about the least effective mm-hmm. way to, to participate sure. publicly. I, I agree with that. I just see, see no reason to send someone to an overflow room if there's a seat. If there's a seat available, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's tough, Jen. And look, I'm, I'm sure you're going through it at, at your organization as well. There isn't always the money you'd want around, so you've got to make difficult decisions. Mm-hmm. Well, there's never the money we right. want around. I mean, if that was the case, there'd be a lot more. Yeah, we'd be having a different conversation. Um, but yeah, it, it, it makes us worry. I mean, we do receive some funding from um, the municipality. And yeah, I mean, um, actually, that leads me to a question. Is the multi-year grant that is that combined in with the budget discussions or is that on top of because i know there's organizations that through um, the london community grants program the multi-year so that's separate from the budget process that's already money that's allocated and in place right right and so you know it's it's really tricky for organizations like like ours to have to constantly worry about different pieces here and there especially when it comes to money i mean we do a lot of fundraising to be able to keep our doors open um if you know the all levels of government unfortunately it's not enough and when we have for um, the record jen i may have some questions about the value for money we get from some of our grant applicants London Abuse Women's Center is never one of those. I know that you are making every penny of that. Well, that's nice of you to say, Sean. Um, yeah, but I mean, like, it's it's difficult for organizations like ours, whether we're talking about the municipality or the province or, you know, the, right. the, the federal government. I mean, it's... You get funding from all three. All three, yes. correct. Yes, and it's core... We get our core funding from the provincial government, and right. then, you know, federal is, is typically, um, you know, a year grant here, two-year grant there, mm-hmm. but it's it's really difficult because then you have to have somebody actually doing that work as well on top of providing direct service right. to, to the community. And there's a and lack of predictability of about it as well. Yeah, obviously. it's so yeah. it's so difficult, um, but we've we've been so lucky with our community, and our community is so supportive of, of the work that we do, thankfully, so, you know, thank goodness we're able to fundraise for those missing pieces but you know when when the city is having conversations around the like these types of things it's it's scary because then also then we have women that we're providing service to that are going to face these realities as well with like you know property tax increase or whatever that's going to mean and then that you know puts them in more of a difficult position too so we have to think kind of both sides of it right so well and i'll tell you as you go through this budget and you look at these 87 business cases and and i see a repeating theme in in multiples of them, mm-hmm. uh, 
well, we're trying to make up for reduced federal funding. We're trying to make up for reduced provincial funding. Uh, you know, the, so the library has a number of business cases in there, and and it's. They might need a new computer system. Um, they may. <laughs> <clears throat> That's a whole different problem. Yeah. Um, but when it says, you know, our provincial funding uh, has not kept up with inflation, we are getting the same mm-hmm. actual dollar amount today as we were getting 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. The municipality cannot backfill that. No. Property taxes cannot replace it's, HST and income tax revenues. It's and, a bad way to try to run a community. Yeah, and it's yeah. not sustainable ultimately. Yeah. Um, it will it will fail. So when I see, uh, you know, there, there's a business case in there and it talks about with, um, reduced federal funding for settlement service programs. And then there's, an, uh, there's a couple in there that talk about reduced provincial funding, the library being one of them. Uh, the Middlesex Health Unit being another one. We can't backfill those for you well, folks. The Health mm-hmm. Unit in their release, and I don't know how intentional this was, I think it was at least a little bit intentional, noted that when they said that, okay, we're going to have to cut some positions, there's going to be seven people lose their jobs, which is, is, is bad news, obviously. They noted we uh, received a 3% funding increase from the municipality, or at least that's what we're budgeting for, and a 1% increase from the province. I, I, I haven't talked to anyone with the health unit about that, but I can't help but think, well, you put that in there knowing that people are going to wonder, hey, what happened to your money? And that's kind of saying, well, the province only gave us a 1% bump here. And like, I appreciate, that, yeah. yeah, and I appreciate the health unit doing that. I appreciate yeah. them being clear about why they have a shortfall because it's not the municipality that's created their shortfall. And it's municipalities plural in their case because it's Pl- the, yes. the city of London's the main funder amongst municipalities, but the, you know, Middlesex and, and so forth. But yes. You heard your ears were ringing from Kelly Elliott. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't want Kelly to be. I didn't want Kelly to be in my DMs. Uh, but yeah, so there's just not a lot of money, Jared, and that makes this all really difficult. And there are going to be things that I think everyone in London may want to do, but the want to dos go and the have to dos and have to dos stay, right? Yeah. Well, and again, I, you know, as much as I know it can be difficult sometimes, but certainly to Sean's point, some of the the value for money or what is it that the city is getting out of all the dollars from the community, from the tax base that they're putting out? I mean, you know, and, and frankly, there are a lot of agencies, um, I'll, you know, the conservation authorities come to mind as that sort of mixed provincial municipal funding where it's getting more and more downloaded onto the municipalities. But there's only so much the municipalities can do. And there's frustrations with them, frankly, anyways. Um, but it's hard. I mean, there's so many different ones that are, are needing backfilling. And especially, you know, I think it's especially difficult right now for larger urban centers like London in Ontario. Um, because they are becoming more and more the center for services. And a lot of, you know, smaller rural county municipalities don't necessarily have the same strains and constraints. Um, You know, I think about, I saw, I think it was uh, the city of Guelph already released their uh, tax increase for next year, which I think came in around 9%. Um, you know, I, I don't, I couldn't see Hamilton's at like 14 or yeah, something. I, I like wouldn't that, see any there. municipality in Ontario. That's a large urban center that has all these different service challenges to deal with that it's going to find an easy way to not get below some kind of double digit number. And you can Joe Fontana it, but you're going to pay for that in the long run too. I think you, we're still you, paying for that. You, you, we're still paying for that from 2010. And and you could do that. You could cap and say, this is what we're going to do, but you are going to pay for that in the long run. Uh, and eventually the bill will come due. So you cannot get away with just saying, we're going to cap it at this and everybody's going to have to make due. You will have service cuts right away. But then in the long run, because you didn't make the investments when you had the opportunity to do so, it's going to be more expensive in the future. I think most Londoners... If you and your colleagues can look them in the eye and say, look, you know, this was six and a half percent. 
but we did this, this, and this, and we really kind of felt we had to do it. I think most lenders would be like, okay, look, I know that you're kind of under some pressure here. Uh, I know some lenders would say, no, we could go higher than that. I don't know how much higher than that we can go with the property tax. Uh, that's up for, for you all to decide. But I think most people will be reasonable at it, even though people's budgets are stretched right now. Well, there are some things, you know, I said 5.4 is the starting point. I, 13 and, and 9, I'm an absolute no on. Uh, but at 5.4, beyond that, we have to invest in the police. I was just gonna there's say no, that. there's no if ands or buts. Mm-hmm. They need what they're asking for, and 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 Chief Trong has put a really solid plan before us and done a great job of walking multiple members of council through why the numbers are what they are. Yep. Paratransit. How many times have we talked about that on on this podcast? And and certainly you've yep. talked about it with other guests as well. We have to. Doctor Preston. Some money. Shout out to him. We ha- yes, Dr. Preston, um, we we have to put some money that you're asking for into the paratransit system. Um, LTC, like, here's the, here's the problem, and this is from years and years ago of, of, of issue, but both London Transit and London Police are on a per capita basis amongst the lowest funded for their respective... In all of Ontario. In all of the province. Yep. There's no way around that. And that means that there's going to be service issues because of that, be it via transit, be it via police, and it... That essentially falls on council to solve the problem. And when you talk about being the, you know, those two agencies in particular being among the lowest per capita, um, London is also on the lower end of the scale when it comes to what municipalities in this province charge their residents for property taxes. Uh, So the cost of getting these services is actually more expensive in a number of other communities. Um, We are in the lower half. So I think it's important to keep that in mind too. Um, but yeah, some of this stuff has to happen, right? Now, are there things that we need to take a serious look at, um, look ourselves in the mirror and say, is this the, the point? And, you know, I referenced the Arts Council and, and Pillar earlier, and I'm not picking on them. Like, I, I appreciate what they do. Um, but right now, those are nice to haves, not need to haves. Police and paratransit, those are need to haves. Well, Those are absolutely need-to-haves. And with police, I mean, obviously it's critical, and, and I think it's with, there's been articles about reaching a breaking point in the community from a service level standpoint. Um, but you also have, I'm not saying that this would get there, but there is also the factor that if the police don't get what they feel they're going to need, that's going to go to the police board, and I would imagine they'd probably win. And so do you want that fight? Do you want the, the money, the financial challenges of that, the the because that costs even more money, as you're yeah. Right. Exactly. I'd rather give them the money up front than spend it on lawyers to have to pay the bill anyway. Right, and and Jen, when Jesse Roger was here a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about this police budget increase. It's like, look, when we call someone, and because there's a guy at one of our shelters who shouldn't be, and they take a little bit to show up because their resources are strained. Like that's that's a problem, obviously. And I don't know if you've run into the same thing. Yeah, but it's, yeah, I'm sure you have. So, yeah, so. days and days for you know because it's not deemed as an emergency for somebody to be able to um, talk to a police officer about sexual assault or you know or whatever like else is going whatever on, yeah. else like that's just an example but yeah it's not it's not great and you know you know some of the conversations that we're having having and I wish that there was money for the police to be able to do this is to have like an investigation component to um the domestic violence unit for example to have more more people who can more officers not people more police officers that can really focus on on those types of roles and you don't have uh, an officer who's you know on the street who's you know going from I'm just making this up I know this is not necessarily how it goes but going from like maybe uh, a call about a car theft to then a sexual assault and have really um 
um, or a domestic violence call and have really, um, you know, straight information about what types of needs um, those individuals might have. And, you know, you need money to be able to do those kinds of things. And the domestic violence unit and the sexual assault unit with the police are absolutely wonderful. Um, And we have really great relationships with them. But, you know, the response time is not is not great. It's just it's just not. And literally somebody could be killed in that amount Mm -hmm. of time. Well, and that's why I really like what Chief Trong is talking about in terms of getting more special constables as mm-hmm. well. So those special constables can do the report taking on a motor vehicle accident or a, a car theft and let the sworn officers with more experience and more training in areas like domestic abuse and, and sexual assault mm-hmm. be more readily available mm-hmm. to you, Jen, because they're not doing that motor vehicle accident report. Um, let that special constable do that instead. Here's another one. I think this is kind of an example of provincial downloading. If the province had a system where if someone was having a mental health issue, they could someone could call that number and 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 trained professionals could show up and help that person who's having a mental health problem. Well, that would be the hell of a lot better than the police going to it. The police on a the, lot of levels. And the police have the coast team, right? So yeah. That, yeah. that's the mental health. Yeah, and team, which I, I, I'm not saying the police like. The police have systems in place for that, mm-hmm. but I would like those officers to be doing other things mm-hmm. and have actual experts in mental health dealing with the mental health thing. Yeah, and, and, then and if, the coast team take, is not big enough. Right. We need a bigger team. Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. And if so. you take that off their plate, think about all the other things they can accomplish if that's mm-hmm. not something that's part of their deal, right? Mm-hmm. So that, to me, is the, is the way to solve this, but that requires cooperation from the province and, and, and cooperation from municipalities, and maybe that's going to be hard to figure out. But if you ask London Police Association, hey, do you think that's a good idea? If you ask uh, chiefs of police all over the province, hey, do you think this is a good idea? They would tell you, yeah, this is something you should be doing. They would all say that. So mm-hmm. I, I think that if people are saying, well, we don't need more police officers, uh, maybe we don't in a perfect world where that sort of thing exists, but that doesn't exist. And here in the real world right now, we kind of need them. And, and that's, that's where I would, I would land on that. Uh, there's going to be lots of time to talk about the budget. I want to talk real quick about alcohol in big boxers before I wrap up the roundtable here. Uh, the Premier of Ontario says, January 1st, 2026, you'll be able to celebrate that by going to Walmart and picking up a White Claw or whatever it is you want to drink. Uh, I, I think that this move is, is happening right now because the Ford government is a little bit, uh, more than a little bit, uh, on their heels because they've had kind of a bunch of things go wrong and had to reverse course in a bunch of policies that uh, have not gone over well in the public realm. Jared, would you agree with that assessment? Yeah. I, I mean, I th- you know, this is, uh, I, this is, I think, trying to have something positive, you know, something popular to share uh, that has nothing to do with the green belt or retractions on uh, what's allowed for development, especially in the GTA. Um, and I don't know. I mean, it's just, to me, it's. I know it has real impacts, and and it's not just something you you know you, you switch on and it's done and that's it. Um, but I just, you know, to in, to me, anyways, we already have alcohol in a lot of grocery stores in the city and in, in a lot of cities. I know the corner store owners, convenience store owners, are very happy about this because it's an opportunity for them for some additional business potentially. Um, I I don't know. I'm not a huge worrier about necessarily the broader societal concerns that maybe some people have. I given traveled in lots of places do this. It, it's not a huge concern to me. And again, it's already in a lot of grocery stores. So I don't know. It's yeah. I think maybe trying to you know turn the channel, change the channel a little bit, and uh, have some more positive news. But not much more than that. Jen. So I we I would agree with what 
the um, Canadian Mental Health Association of Ontario, they put out a statement about it um, yesterday, day before, yeah. something uh, like that. Yeah, it was one of the two. I, I think it might have been yesterday before it officially announced it, and the day before it kind of leaked. So one of the two, but yes, what's the Yeah, statement? so I, I, I took a screenshot here because I knew that this was going to be a topic, and so we... I very much agreed with, so they said, well, the government's acknowledgement of public health measures in the expansion announcement is important. The community mental health and addiction sector is urging caution in the rollout of the expansion. Alcohol is a leading cause of preventable deaths, injuries, violence, and illnesses. Um, and it goes on and, and says more. So one of the one of the biggest things that, that I think would be of concern as I think about, and there was, this was recently, I think in, in the news would be like the 7-Eleven by the university. Yeah. Um, and, and that sort of thing. And just like the ease of access for um, individuals who are maybe not of age um, to, to access alcohol. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's definitely, it's, I don't know. I don't, I don't necessarily like it in the in the convenience stores and that sort of thing. But you're right. I mean, it's already at Walmart. You can go to Walmart. You yeah. can go to the grocery store. Um, you know, I think just proper proper precautions and and even just training for those mm-hmm. that own those convenience stores um, would be really really important. Yes, I I agree with that. I hope that happens. I'm skeptical that it will. Here's what I would say. I'm all for changing the way that we sell beer as an example in this province. But to me, the way you do it, and Sean, you and I have talked about this before, you take the shackles off of Forked River. You take the shackles off of the local breweries in this city. Uh, Toboggan, there's another one. You take their shackles off and let them sell beer the same way the beer store does. That's how you improve access in this province. I'm not sure. I don't think, like, I'm, I'm not necessarily against this. I just think there were better, smarter ways to get this done. Yeah, and and I'm not really against this either. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it's empowering the local producers more than than this measure does. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, out in my neck of the woods, I can go into Walmart and get beer. I can go into Metro and get beer or wine. Um, I mean, I don't think whether or not hard liquor is available in, in these places is the burning issue of our time. But I also don't think it's going to make much of a, a societal impact. Um, I got to say, like, I I don't share the same concern as Jen with uh, underagers having access because underagers have had access forever. They're, I know, and they're clever like, enough. Like Uber and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah like you, they, they, With it, Uber deliveries and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. You know, if a 16-year-old wants to get their they're hands on some beer, they're going to get their hands mm-hmm. on beer. That's... Mm-hmm. We're, we're, I mean, that, that happened when I was a kid mm-hmm. oh, yeah. and, no, I still think and the then it was a there. lot harder to, I mean, there was a time when I can remember you went into the LCBO and filled out a ticket and somebody went and got the stuff from the back <laughs> and brought it forward. Now I wasn't old enough to fill out the ticket, um, but I might've had somebody fill out a ticket for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a nice, uh, probably a nice political win for the government, especially with convenience store small business owners. I, mm-hmm. I would imagine. I know it's something they've been talking about for a long time. But Craig, to your point, um, on the the broader piece here, like I think there's a lot more that you know could be done from a alcohol regulation perspective in the province, and and enabling more so our local producers is something I would love to see. Uh, you know, if we're talking about dismantling the beer store or changing how that works, that would be much more exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I, I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah, I I don't know either. Although you know, the one piece that I would say, you know, if I was advising the government. Um, the one piece of caution I would uh, offer to them is 
you know, you don't want to kill the goose that lays the golden egg. And the LCBO returns billions. Yep, a lot of money. Into the provincial coffers every year. So you want to be careful that you do this in a way that you don't lose that revenue. Now, would they argue that we've kept a lot of it by keeping, you know, your your vodkas and your rums and your ryes there? Probably. But you haven't kept all of it. Yep. Yeah. And I want to make something very, very clear right now because sometimes people get confused. The LCBO and the beer store are two very different things. The LCBO, you spend money there. That money goes to the provincial government's coffers. You spend money at the beer store. That money goes to Brazil and Japan and the United States. Yeah. So I just want something that that to be... Yeah, dismantling the beer store is a different argument than dismantling the LCBO. Yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. Uh, We'll leave it there. Uh, Thank you very much for uh, downloading, listening to, and subscribing to the Craig Needles podcast. Please do the rate and review things. We love it when you do that. And thank you very much to Sean and to Jared and to Jen for doing the Friday Roundtable with us this week. I hope you have an excellent weekend. We'll talk to you next week here on the Craig Needles podcast. The Craig Needles Podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.